Welcome to According to Flint, the innovative podcast reaching beyond the Western demographic with stories, humor, and interviews. Now, here's your host, Flint Rasmussen. This episode of According to Flint is brought to you by the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, who is proud to bring the Western lifestyle and outdoor enthusiasts together for conservation projects, enhancing elk habitat, and ensuring the future of America's hunting heritage. Visit rmef.org for more information. Thanks for listening, and enjoy this episode of According to Flint. Well, welcome to episode number 27, a little bit of your world according to Flint, and happy to have... A young lady that is a former Hamlin Charger. Am I right? Were they the you Hamlin right. Chargers back then? That is correct. Warm. Yes, it's a consolidated school. So four small towns yeah. built a school in the middle of nowhere, and they are now the Hamlin Chargers. Well, there is a lot of middle of nowhere in South Dakota right. and Montana. More importantly, the former South, South Dakota Snow Queen, which is oh. probably the most important title to me, but she is... You've got to stop Googling me. <laughs> I do. The, the governor of South Dakota, Christy Noem. Thank you for taking the time for us. We appreciate oh, it. It's wonderful. Thank you so much for visiting with me. This is the highlight of my day, Flint. Don't mess it up. Oh, so uh, I know that. <laughs> don't mess it. Don't screw this up. I tell my girls that all the time. Don't screw it up. When, you know, we were allowed, thanks to uh, your guy, Ian, with the terrible mustache, we were mm -hmm. given a little window. Am I sandwiched in between anything really cool today, big time stuff or? Well, I had my whole cabinet here. We had a meeting with all of my department secretaries uh, talking about state government and how we're doing on different legislative priorities. And then had a couple of other interviews, some special guests that came to just take a tour of the residence and then a meeting with my executive team. So business as usual today, I... I can't say yesterday would have been a day we probably should have chatted. I rode a motorcycle in the Sturgis motorcycle bike rally with hundreds of, of people and then also rode my horse, Iceman, down Main Street, Deadwood, up onto a stage in Outlaw Square. So yesterday probably was the day we should have had this chat. How are things in Sturgis this year? As, as we record this, Sturgis is hot and heavy. I uh, had a good friend, Chancey Williams, play a concert there the other night. I think Kid Rock was there. Looks to be a uh, mighty rock in there in Sturgis. It is. There's a lot of people in South Dakota right now. And so they're thinking it could be one of the biggest ever. Uh, last year, we had about 500,000 people there. We could potentially double that this year, which would be doubling the state, state. population for the, st for the Sturgis Motorcycle Bike Rally. But, you know, these folks that are here uh, wanted to come be a part of the tradition that is the rally, but also just enjoy and celebrate a little bit of American patriotism. So that's what we were doing yesterday was riding with veterans. We were on the legends ride, uh, recognizing the history of the rally. Hmm. Uh, your horse, Iceman, right? He's, yes. He's made some miles. You, you got you know, him. He has. He, I mean, he's been everywhere. You rode, you carried the flag for us at the, at the PBR first event back. It's mm -hmm. been, I guess it's been a year now about, mm -hmm. uh, he's been to rodeos all over South Dakota but that, you know, when I think of you going to these rodeos, that, that's not just reading the room and playing the crowd. That, mm -hmm. that means a lot to you. You're, you are very much ingrained in that Western sports world. That's how I see oh, it. Yeah, definitely. It's my way of life. It's the way I grew up. 
it was one of my favorite things to do uh, was working all day on the ranch with my dad. And then he would load us up and take us to rodeos. So I raised my girls uh, through rodeo as mm-hmm. well. And, and I love it. And honestly, the last year, I've really felt like rodeo was the sport that really reminded us what freedom was and reminded us of what it felt like to love our country. It's where families go to celebrate patriotism and, and our liberties. And so I think it's been a good thing for America to really shine a new spotlight on rodeo. Early in my career, I think I told you this Mm -hmm. early in my career, when I was taking everything I could get job wise, uh, doing rodeos at towns I had never heard of, Mm -hmm. It was so hot and humid in Watertown, South Dakota. Oh, gosh. You know, I was probably there Mm -hmm. um, because we were helping Jim and Julie Sutton, you know, facilitate that rodeo every single year. But yeah, Watertown is kind of the Glacial Lakes region of South Dakota, and it does get more humid up there. Yeah, That's where our ranch is. The arena with the side hill, there was a clubhouse on top of the side hill. I mean, I can remember vividly. And I went golfing. I, I remember that oh. too. I remember strange things, very yeah. strange things. So speaking of your girls, my girls, they're on the rodeo team at Montana State National Champions, mm-hmm. by the way. Oh, wow. And uh, Congratulations. I talked to my 22-year-old daughter about an hour before we did this. And it, this always, talking to a person like you, it, it's easy, but you, you want a direction to go. So I asked mm-hmm. my 22-year-old daughter who just graduated from college, what would you, what, what do you want to know, Shelby? What would you say uh, as a young lady heading out into the world? And she said, dad, there's so many things, but she's just one of us. Mm-hmm. And I want to know if she's, if this was in her mm-hmm. sights when she was my age, was there a moment? Was there from the time you were in junior high, was the political thing always kind of back there for you? No, but tell Shelby, that's probably one of the nicest compliments anybody could ever say to me. Um, Because I think in politics, people try to make you into something you're not. Mm -hmm. And I've just tried really hard to stay the same person that I've always been and to show that I'm just here to try to do a job that actually makes people's lives better. So no, I had no idea. Um, It was actually... And see, I still can't even get my earpiece to stay in. (laughs) That's how unprofessional I am. Yeah, well, I I know um, how you feel. But we have, um, when I was 22, my dad was killed in an accident on our farm and our ranch. And so that's really when my whole life changed. Up until that point, all I was going to do was go into the family business and continue to raise cattle and quarter horses and, and live that way of life. So when he was killed, though, we got hit with death taxes because we had a large operation and many businesses. And death taxes is a federal tax that, that charges you um, on everything that you own, your assets. So like a lot of ranches and a lot of farms, we had a lot of land and machinery and cattle, but we didn't have any money. And at the time the tax was 55%. So we owed all of a sudden this humongous amount of money to the federal government, we'd have any way to pay it. So that's how I got involved in government politics was it made me mad. Mm -hmm. I could not believe we have this tragedy and my dad would die at the age of 49. And I was going to take over and become the general manager of all these businesses and suddenly be saddled with debt that I couldn't figure out a way to pay for. So I just started showing up at meetings and got passionate about tax reform. And, and that's really how I ended up where I am today. How's that a thing? How, how is, how is it your fault? How do you owe money if you lose a loved one in a situation like that? I know that's, this question has been asked so much, but I think 
it to me it's frustrating to me and angers me because it all goes back to rural America and penalties on rural America that should not be there. I mean, you don't you don't have that money sitting in front of you. No, and it's the only place in our federal tax code where we double tax someone because remember everybody's already paid income taxes on this. Sure. Uh, and then they've invested into their land. They've invested into their assets. And then to come back at a time of tragedy and to tax them again on that percentage is is really unfair. It's a very, very unfair tax. And so that's the problem is that we have, um, I'm going to have to fix this. I don't know why it's so bad. <laughs> but that's the problem is that we are um, you know, really needing to fix that issue. And what's happening is that so many times what happens in politics is they talk about it being a rich man's tax, that because people are rich, they can pay it. But the reality is, is people don't necessarily have money. They just have assets that have appreciated in value over the years. It comes from, I have a frustration being in states that you and I live in. As a, mm-hmm. Montana is the only state I've lived in. You're a South Dakota girl. Mm-hmm. Yep. It, it, we're lost a little, mm-hmm. we're, we're not you and I. Our states, yeah. you know, what do they call us? Flyover states, drive-through yeah, states, do. where there's really no appreciation in in the eyes of people on this coast and this coast. Mm-hmm. These states really provide not much to this country. They're just, it's just South Dakota. When they really, there's a real condescension in the fact mm-hmm. they don't understand that we probably provide more than they will ever know to this country. And the penalties, the taxes, the, the brushing off of ideas, it's frustrating to me, mm-hmm. very frustrating. Well, and to be honest with you, I hope that's changing. Uh, yep. The little bit of the spotlight that we've had the last year or two on some of these rural states and the benefits we can offer to families and to people, I think has been good for us. It's been able to allow us to tell our story. And honestly, whenever I talk about food policy, which is what ranchers are, is I talk about it from a national security standpoint, uh, that it is important that we continuously grow our own food in this country and that we have many ranchers and many farmers out here on the land so that it's diversified and one person or one country doesn't control our food supply. So when I talk about agriculture, I talk about the fact that it's a national security issue. It's in our best interest that we continue to grow our food in this country so we control our own destiny because as scary as COVID got for so many people, that was a virus. Imagine what would happen if people showed up in the grocery store, shelves were empty, and we realized that China or another country had our food and wouldn't give it to us because they wanted more control over our society. And that's the reality of what ranchers and and farmers do and why it's important that we continue to have them out here on the land. Do you feel like you're making headway? I know you're passionate about, you know, uh, making sure things are better for beef producers and Mm -hmm. farmers. And, and I know we all thank you for being out there in the spotlight because it does help every time you are out there talking about it. Do you feel like you're really making some headway there? Well, you know, a year ago, you could ask most people when they'd ever heard of South Dakota or know anything about South Dakota and they, they wouldn't know anything. And so I do think that now people know where we are. They know who who we are and what we're doing. And I was talking to my tourism secretary about a month ago and he said, governor, I don't think you've realized how fundamentally this country has changed. He said for all of time, when people did a search engine or a search on the internet of where they wanted to go spend their vacation or spend time, they always put into Google 
um, tropical vacations mm -hmm. or beaches, somewhere warm. He said for the first time in history, people are searching rural America and small towns. Mm -hmm. He said that the narrative in this country has changed where now these remote areas, these ranches, these farms have something that people are curious about and they're learning about and they want to go see and feel it and they appreciate the fact that we're offering something that's very different than what the cities have offered. And frankly, they're safer. Uh, I think mm -hmm. people living in cities today don't feel like their families really are well protected or have a wonderful way of life with the situation that they're dealing with. And so that does give us a unique opportunity to tell our story and to educate people on food production and the value that ranching and rodeo and strong families can have. And that's why I don't want to miss it. People ask all the time why I continue to do interviews, why I continue to talk to people in other states is because we have this window of time where the country is listening and focusing on us. And we need to make sure we don't miss the opportunity to educate them on our value of our way of life. Holy cow. I was in big sky, Montana. A couple of weeks mm -hmm. ago, we do a little PBR up there. What yep. a rat race. I mean, oh. that whole Bozeman, Montana area, my girls are at yeah. Montana state. Yep. It is obvious by the price of real estate, uh, the summer resort business. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> yeah. People aren't going to Disney world and Disneyland. They're fly fishing. And whitewater rafting and taking uh, dude ranch rides. It it really, in my lifetime, and I don't consider, I consider myself young like you do, you know, yeah. in wow. our, our mid-30s. Pretty close in Our, our yeah. mid-30s. And it just really has shifted, you know, fishing, fishing, yeah. uh, hiking, which is walking to me, was never popular just recently in our lifetimes. And so That's there right. has been a major shift. And it, you're right. It's safer. Yeah. It's more wholesome. The kids get out and... Um, we've set records in the amount of visitors to the state of South Dakota. I'm oh, moving sure. thousands of people that are picking up their families moving here because they want what we have and what they've been able to learn about South Dakota and a record number of hunting licenses, fishing licenses have been sold. Our state parks have millions more visitors than they've ever had before. So I think our focus on the outdoors and, and really the benefits to people's health as well mm -hmm. has really been told this year. Well, and plus, you can't discount the fact that <clears throat> that the lost city of gold is under Mount Rushmore. <laughs> That's like true. On That's true. On uh, National Treasure. Oh, yeah. The secret. <laughs> Sorry. Yes. <I'm, laughs> the last movie I see before oh, I do this. Worst. You are the worst. You are the worst secret keeper. That's a good information for me. Sorry to about that. Sorry yeah. about that. Um, you talk about when, you know, South Dakota is in the limelight. I've Mm -hmm. I've known South Dakota. I went to Rapid City for years in the winter mm -hmm. and love South Dakota. Um, you came, it really is a shame what brought you and South Dakota into the limelight a little bit. I think there's a real misunderstanding to what happened during this whole COVID thing in South Dakota. Mm -hmm. you, you didn't tell anybody, I don't believe in masks, don't wear a mask. You just said, Check me if I'm wrong here. Yeah. I hope I'm not putting words in your mouth. You <laughs> no, said, you're... do what's right. Here's all yeah. the information. I'm just not going to be the one that tells you to do it. Yeah. Why was there, you... why was there such an issue with that? What? Well, I think it was because I didn't fall in line. And I spent a lot of time uh, really looking at what authority I had as a governor and what authority I didn't have. You know, what the Constitution says a governor is supposed to decide for people and what we're not supposed to decide. And, and came back to the fact that I really didn't wanna be the person, the leader that overstepped my authority in a time of crisis. 
I've just always believed that that's really when you break this country. So, so we, I told folks, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm going to stand up and give you all the information that I have. Um, study the virus. We're going to look at the science of it and how we can protect people that are vulnerable. But then I'm going to trust you. And I'm going to let you use personal responsibility to make the best decisions for your family, but also give you flexibility. You can keep your businesses open. You can keep paying your bills, put a roof over your head. And, and we're gonna get through this together. Overwhelmingly, South Dakota responded to that and appreciated it. Mm -hmm. And now we're really showing the benefits of that. Our people are much happier. Their businesses are doing better. We're the state that is the least amount of hours that were lost by any employee in the entire country, the least amount of wages lost by any worker in the country. We had the least amount of businesses close in the entire country because of the pandemic. We also have the fastest growing economy. Texas is number two, which I like saying that <laughs> yeah. once in a while, uh, but they're at 7.5% growth. South Dakota is at 9.9% GDP growth, which is absolutely phenomenal. We have a very low unemployment rate. I think I have less than 2,500 people in the entire state that are on unemployment. Um, we have 28,000 open jobs uh, because we've got businesses moving here. They want a government that respects them. And what I tell people too is also we are the state with the biggest dramatic decrease in overdoses last year. Uh, there was only two states where drug overdoses decreased. One was New Hampshire by a half a percentage. South Dakota's uh, decreased by almost 16%. We have less mental health issues. We have folks that are doing better and, and less addiction. And I think that a lot of that ties back to us letting people have some control over their lives and make the best decisions that fit them and their families. Completely. I just think it goes back to what, you know what I did yesterday? Hmm. I, I did Google something. I asked the oh, question no. on Google, what is the true role of government? Because I wanted mm -hmm. to see what it said. And of course it goes back to, uh, it established perfect union, domestic tranquility, you know, the preamble, mm -hmm. but I just wanted to see what is the role of government? Because I felt like it changed. I, I yeah. just didn't. Uh, and, and even my goal here today is not to get real political, but I think there's yeah. a, there's a deep rooted, what do you believe your role of government mm -hmm. is? And to me, it isn't, listen, I got it. Just give me the facts of what's going on. It's not your job really to protect me. Uh, it, what if I fall down and break my leg? Is that your fault as well? Right. I mean, there's all those little analogies. Yep. You had to generalize as just a person. If I say mm -hmm. to you, what really is, uh, uh, constitution aside, official verbiage aside, what do you think the role of government is? Your generalization. To stay out of the way. I think it really is to stay out of the way, to fill the role that it's supposed to fill, but very, very limited. And so many times I see people thinking the government should step in and do something that people or in private business or somebody else should be doing and asking the government to do more and more. But the problem is, is that the government continuously grows and those decisions are made away from people and away from families without their best interests in mind. So, mm -hmm. so I think my job is consistently to stand up and to keep educating people on what the role of government should be, that it's incredibly limited. The federal government has an even smaller role than state government does. And the best decisions are made locally. So if you can make those decisions as close to the people as possible, that's where it can be more responsive to what people want or what they really do need in their way of life. We saw dramatically across this country that leadership had consequences. 
from state to state, different types of leadership had different consequences for families and businesses. And I would ask people to go back and really look at what happened in those states and decide what kind of leadership they want because yeah. they have an incredibly powerful voice just to decide what kind of life they want to live. And we've never seen government take so many actions to make decisions that it never should be making. I flew out of Sacramento, California a few nights ago huh. after PBR. Yeah. I was in the airport at 530 in the evening. Mm -hmm. No place to eat. It was all closed. Oh, really? And wow. I was mad and I asked the girl, there was one little wine bar. So if something's going to okay. be open, yeah. it just as well be a place to get wine. That's really. true. That's true. And I asked the girl, <laughs> what is the deal? There's this entire food court in the airport. Nothing open, she said. Nobody will work. Told me oh. flat out. She said, that's why you have to order at the counter. We don't have enough staff to come out. Nobody will work. Mm -hmm. I mean, so to me, that says what just happened. What happened in that leadership uh, that made that well, happen. and that's one of the things that I talked to my husband a lot about last year when when we saw these states making these different decisions. I said they are training people not to work. Mm -hmm. They're getting people into the habit of not going to church. And unfortunately, it's not going to take very long until people get used to it and it seems normal. And it seems like it's the way to live. That's why in South Dakota, when President Trump did offer those elevated unemployment benefits to everybody, I think we were the only state in the country that said, thank you, Mr. President, for the flexibility, but we don't need it because our people in South Dakota, they want to work. And even though there's a pandemic going on, we understand the risks, but people still want to run their businesses and still serve each other. And so we just got creative about how we did that and got through it very well. Mm -hmm. But that kept people off of unemployment and still today in South Dakota, I think that's why we see everybody here works. Uh, we still have open jobs, but I think that's sure. because our economy is growing so fast. Uh, we just need to recruit and train the workers for those positions that are necessary. Could you uh, just pass on to President Trump how fun this is? Just, oh, if yeah. you want to, I'll tell you, just send me his number. I mean, you, yes. know, I'll, you know, I'll be confidential about it. Can you just, imagine that conversation? That would be- He and I. I'll, I'll do, I'll, yes, I'll see what I can do for you. You know, it's interesting yeah. off topic, but I'm very good friends with Michael Gaughan, who owns the South Point. Oh yeah, in, uh, absolutely. Uh, and He's Ryan wonderful. Growney, the GM. We're mm -hmm. very good, very tight, very good friends. Mm -hmm. And uh, they said when, you know, Trump had some rallies at their equestrian center, their big arena mm -hmm. there. And they said he leaned over the chair and he was so, to me, this so is Donald Trump and people who are successful. Leaned mm -hmm. over and asked all about, okay, tell me about this horse thing. Yeah. Tell me about yeah. this horse business. You make money at this. He was quizzing them about yeah. how busy it keeps their place. To me, that's a, I mean, Donald Trump's name aside, mm -hmm. to me, that's such an indicator of a successful person. Always digging yeah. into stuff like that. Yeah. He wants to understand what makes things work and what helps people be successful. And even though you may think it's totally out of his realm, he's so curious. And I think that's one of the reasons why he's been so successful over the years. Mm -hmm. And he truly does care about people. It was interesting. Every meeting that I was in with him, you could see that he wasn't there to have a discussion on how terrible things were. He was there to have people say to him, what do you need? and he would figure out a way to get that done. It wasn't very long before I'd walk into a room with him and I would know, I'm not gonna come in here with a laundry list of things that I needed his help with. I'm gonna have one or two things, I'm gonna make them my priority, and he will actually go out every day and try to get that done for me. Huh. Interesting. Well, that'll be nice to have him on here and talk about that then. Right, be great. absolutely. Yeah. Yep. You, you mentioned your husband and your kid, you have three kids, right? Yes, three I kids. do. That that had to be a dis, a real deep discussion. I think that with everybody in political office, what do you 
were you already deeply involved in politics as your kids grew up? Like my kids don't know me to do anything different. So people yeah. always ask them about, well, what do you think of what your dad does? They don't know. They don't know any different. Are your kids a little like that? Or this is all they've I, known? I think, yeah, I think it's kind of that way. When they were real little was when I first ran for the state legislature. Um, Booker was probably four or five years old. So he was the youngest. Cassidy then would have been 11 or 12. Um, so that was kind of the range. But, you know, the state legislature in South Dakota is very different. It's 40 days a year. You go into session, you pass all the bills that are being debated, you pass the budget, and then you go home. So yeah. the rest of you always had a different job. I went home to the ranch and the farm and worked all year. And for that little over a month, went to pier and did session. And then I took my kids with me everywhere that I went. So they came and stayed with me while I was in session back and forth every week as well. So with a big adjustment happened when I ran for Congress. Yeah. And that was probably the most difficult because we didn't really want to run for Congress. I mean, at the time, people had been recruiting us for over a year, asking us to run. There was going to be a tough race in South Dakota. We were represented by a blue dog Democrat, which would be a moderate Democrat. And people had been wanting me to run for a long time. And it got to the point where finally I just said to my husband, I said, listen, maybe we just run. And if we lose then everything will be fine yeah, and they'll leave solved. and they'll leave us alone, leave us alone and yeah. they won't bug us anymore. <laughs> if we win, it would be a miracle because she was pretty popular and, uh, you know, voted wrong quite a bit, but not on everything that would be a real problem in South Dakota. And, and so that was just such a long shot to win that race. And so we ended up deciding just to run. And then when we won, that's when we got nervous about how it would really impact our family. Hmm. Yeah. It's, uh, it, but, Governor, I've met Governor Huckabee a couple times oh, sure. and visited yeah. with him. And yeah. I introduced him. I'll never forget. We were in, in Las Vegas at the National Finals Rodeo and Mike Ingram introduced me mm -hmm. to Governor Huckabee. And I had my girls with me and they were not even high school at the time, smaller. And he put his arm around me and he said, let me give you a little tip. He said, I have daughters. You're going to struggle with boys wanting to date your daughters. <laughs> and he said, let me give you a tip. Become Governor because they have levels of security <laughs> to get through. Uh, that was true. his tip. I'm like, oh, he said, uh, you can filter them out really mm -hmm. fast. Did it drive? background checks. Yeah, I would yep. imagine, I would imagine South Dakota's a little more lax in security for your kids. Did it drive them crazy though? Oh my God. Yeah, just, no, it didn't, it didn't drive them crazy. I think it's been very different, especially the last couple of years where everybody in the country kind of knows who we are now. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's been very different. Uh, but no, our kids um, have done very well. It's been a bit of an adjustment. But you know, I took them with me to Congress too. Mm -hmm. We literally sat down as a family and made up rules. Um, like, how is this going to work? And we're going to have some rules. So we made a decision that when I went to DC every week that I wasn't going to go sit in the bars at night that we didn't think that'd be very good for our marriage or for our kids. If I was, because that happens, the country. A, that happens a well, lot. It does, yes. it does happen a lot. Um, and I took my kids with me a lot. So their school was a small school that allowed me to take them for a whole week and only counted as one day of missed absences. Mm. If, if they were got all their homework done and turned it in. So I took the kids with me a lot. I lived in my office, you know, on air mattresses. So the kids would, we'd have, slumber parties all week and because we were saving money and didn't have a lot of money and, you know, turned it into wherever I went in meetings. When I was home in the state on the weekend, we had to be together. Nobody was yeah. allowed to go on a sleepover. Nobody was allowed to go to a birthday party. 
the one rule was that they had to be with mom, but you could bring as many friends as you wanted to. So ah. there would be many times that I would be at a chamber of commerce dinner and I'd have eight or nine kids with me or, you know, and they, they just got, it was very different, uh, I think for South yeah. Dakota, but they started to ask everywhere I went, how many children will you have with you? I mean, how many, um, how many seats do we need? for? We're going with 16 this so, week. Yeah, we're going, I, know, I don't right. know most of them, but yeah. But it was important because they got to see what I was doing when I yeah. was gone and they knew what the issues, they were hearing the discussions. They sat through some boring tax reform meetings, but they also knew why I was doing what I was mm. doing and they became invested in it as well. So we just made it a family activity and that made all the difference in the world. Even though they're older um, huh. and you are still married, your husband, a very nice I guy. Yeah. I know he does this to me and shakes his head a lot when I give you a bad <laughs> yeah. time. Did they hire, did they hire on for bigger things? Did they, No. Uh, do you know what I not mean? Really. Uh, you yeah. know what I mean? Uh, you know, yeah. people, Christy Nome needs to run for this, this, this. And yeah. I, I, when that comes up, because I've met your husband and mm -hmm. have talked to you, I always think of your family. It's not that easy. Like yeah. that's not just a decision you make. No, it isn't. And that's what's, um, you know, a dynamic that I don't think a lot of people think about yeah. is that it's different even when it's your husband and, and, and a wife, because for husbands, they feel like they're supposed to protect their wives. And, and Brian's wife is constantly getting attacked and criticized for everything that I do. Mm -hmm. And I think that's harder on men than maybe it is a little bit more so when the male is going to be in the political office. So that's a little bit more challenging. And they've, they recognize the importance of these jobs though, and especially the importance of this point in history, mm -hmm. the discussions that we're having. And that's always what we talk about all the time. Is there somebody else who will care as much as we do? Is there somebody else that will get up every day and work 20 hours a day to do the right thing? And because we don't think it has to be us at all. And that's not, we've never wanted higher office. We just very much believe that our faith is important to us, that we don't want to be disobedient to whatever it is that God has our family to do, and that whatever he does want us to do, that it'll work out for us. And, and I don't ever want to be in a situation where I wake up one day and say, I should have done more. You know, my dad was a guy who just constantly said, we don't complain about things, we fix them. And that's one of the reasons I finally decided to run for Congress too, was because I thought, gosh, I'm complaining about this government stuff a lot and I'm not doing anything <laughs> to help fix it. So mm. a lot of that is just having to live with myself and knowing that, that I was willing to be a part of the solution. I don't know. I, I don't, in my position, I'm in a public position, but not in yeah. a, in a, a political public position. I can get 10,000 comments on social media that I did a great job and two yeah. that tell me I suck and it oh. keeps me up at night. I don't know how you do it. The thick that's skin so funny. Thing. You know, I, I tell that to people all the time. I say, that's a, that's exactly my personality is that people will compliment me and that's wonderful. But one person looks at me sideways or says something <laughs> that's critical. And I will lay awake all night thinking about that. Oh, that's so good and, to know. And, <laughs> yeah. And people always think you would get used to it. You know, that you would get a thick skin and I just don't, I, I think if you are in this job and you really do love people, you want them to understand your heart and why you do it. And it's just, it's just hard. So that's what people, I tell people all the time. I don't watch the news. Oh, yeah. I don't read my comments on social media. I've just learned it's not good for me. 
And I just try to wake up every day and try to do my job and make sure that people get to see the real me and hopefully they'll see that I really do care. That's my issue. I know in here that I'm really striving to do something for people. In my right. job, I'm, I'm just doing it in a different way. But right. I just want to grab them and say, don't you understand? I'm doing this from here. I didn't, yeah. uh, it's frustrating when you, right. yeah, some people don't care. I care. It's, yeah. It still and gets to me. I think that too. I've always thought that maybe I'd get used to it, you know, mm. and then people just don't really understand the humanity of these jobs too, yeah. that I still get nervous before every speech. I still get nervous before every interview. I, I think I'll probably could do this for 20 years and I still, it's because I don't ever want to waste somebody's time. Yeah. I want them to hear something from me that's valuable, that they'll go away from that situation and saying, oh, I think I learned something new or, or I thought about that differently. And, and I take my job very seriously. And I recognize that if I screw up, that I'm not just letting them down. I'm, I'll be letting my family down, our, our, our reputation, my state, and all the people that have helped me along the way. Yeah. Um, about before I let you go, because I know supposedly you have a pretty busy schedule. Ian, Ian told they me tell that. Me. <laughs> um, uh, South Dakota, I used to say back when I went to the Black Hills Stock Show in Rapid City, mm-hmm. that I've lived in Montana my whole life, but my second choice would be South Dakota. Oh, are we moving um, up? If I, uh, if I move to South Dakota, is there a place, is there a position for me? Like Secretary of Humor, um, the- That's brilliant. Something. I never even thought about having a Secretary of Humor. Something. That'd be something. great. Yeah, Secretary really? of Social Gatherings. Ooh. or court jester. So, oh yeah. Perfect. There you go. We'll come up with something. I like, and like you're having a bad day. You walk in a room and I'll say, Hey, hey and just some smart ass comment <laughs> that you'll go. Thanks Flint. See you tomorrow. That's it. There you go. Yep. That's it. That's all we needed. Thank okay. you. Appreciate um, it. Well, good. Write that down. I'm glad I got that handled because <laughs> when Thank I end you. up in South Dakota, you got a backup plan. Now. Yeah. Whew. Thank goodness. Um, uh, I am officially, Consider this your invitation. When you go, which I know you will go to the National Finals Rodeo in Las Vegas, okay. officially inviting you to the television television sensation that is outside the barrel with Flint Rasmussen on the Cowboy uh, Channel every yes. day. This is my invitation for you to be a guest on my show. I know. That'd be great. Okay. The only question I would have is if I commit to doing that, can I get inside the barrel at some point too? I'll bring a barrel. You can get both. When I come to Sioux Falls, then you can get inside the barrel. Perfect. TV, you're outside the barrel. So Perfect. Um, we'll do it. However, most people have to sing on the TV show. We start work working. TikTok okay. dances don't I'll count. I'll work it. Yep. Yeah. Oh, shoot. All right. All right. Well, whatever. Listen. That took me that took me at least 15 minutes to get that dance down. So I commit to practicing. It was spectacular. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That made my communications team real happy to see that online like, too. Well, you do kind of have a good little, <laughs> I was with you. Good for you. Um, listen, you I very much appreciate you. Um, and from all of us, we, you know, we do little things like this. We've had the chance to have some really great people on this. And it, it, it has shown us that, you know, people like Steve Warner, a hero of mine, mm-hmm. Will Kane from Fox News, that I, I tell yeah. my girls all the time, let, success in life is about connections and relationships. Mm-hmm. And you can get things done. And, and I consider us to have a good connection. And it has yeah. made, made me appreciate, and I don't know if it's the COVID thing or what, it's really made me appreciate people like you and those people I've had on this show that mm. people want to do fun stuff that my connections in yeah. life have provided this and I appreciate you. And I, 
I, when people ask, I consider you, consider you my friend and I'm honored to have you as my friend more than anything. Well, and that means the world to me too. And you, I absolutely love that. And we need more friends and relationships in this world. I tell kids that all the time. You think your education is the most valuable asset that you have? Mm. Relationships will change your life. Yeah. They absolutely will. And yeah. that's what this country and this world is still about. So love you, Flint. You got a fantastic message out there. Keep going and let me know what I can do to help. Hey, thanks. Good to see you yeah. as always. Thanks, thanks for taking the too. time. Yeah. Have a great day. Thank you.